You might be right. It's simple, but something you almost never hear in politics today, with each side more concerned about scoring political points than solving problems. I'm Bill Haslam, a Republican. And I'm Phil Bredesen, a Democrat. We're former Tennessee governors, and we invite you to listen to our podcast, You Might Be Right. Join us and guests like Al Gore, Paul Ryan, Judy Woodruff, as we take on important issues facing our country. Listen and subscribe to You Might Be Right, a new podcast from the Baker School at the University of Tennessee. Hi everyone, it's Giles here. Have you missed me? Well, I've been busy as ever researching my new history book, all very top secret. But I'm here with some exciting news. Over the next few weeks, author Tom Clavin will be guest hosting a special series on the Unknown History podcast. It's called Dodge City, and it covers the most violent and turbulent town in the American West. Tom will tell you four stories about romance, adventure and gunfights, about Wyatt Earp and Bat Masterson, about friendships, thieves and desperados. I hope you'll tune in. I know I'm going to. Keep listening now for the first episode of Dodge City. Thanks, Giles. I'm so glad to be part of the Unknown History podcast this month and telling stories based on my book Dodge City, Wyatt Earp, Bat Masterson and the Wickedest Town in the American West. Our first story begins with Dodge City itself. How did it come to be? Why was it the wickedest town in the West? To this day, the definition of Dodge City is trouble. You'll hear people say, not just in the United States, but all over the world, I had to get out of Dodge. It, it's like Dodge City there. Obviously, the definition is a place of trouble, a place of mayhem, a place of violence, a place of danger. That's certainly what Dodge City was, and it wasn't just called that by the people who lived there. In the 1870s, newspapers all over the country were referring to Dodge City as the wickedest town in the West. From San Francisco to Chicago to New York to Baltimore, Denver, even San Diego had a newspaper that was calling Dodge City the wickedest town in the American West. How did it get that way? Well, Dodge City was the Kansas cow town. There were a number of Kansas cow towns, Abilene, Hayes City. Dodge City became number one. What do I mean by cow town? In the late 60s and early 1870s, after the Civil War, there was a surging demand for beef. And these Texas cattle ranchers, who had pretty much been out of business during the Civil War, suddenly wanted to take these big trail rides right up through Texas, through the Panhandle, and they wanted to bring them to where the nearest railroad was. And the railroad at that time was Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe, was working its way west. Each time it hit a city... It had a chance to be a cow town, but once it hit Dodge City, which was in September 1872, that was a perfect location because it was a straight run up through the Panhandle. You go across the Arkansas River into Kansas, and there was Dodge City. And the railroad there, you, you, by the thousands, the tens of thousands, these cattle barons from Texas and the cowboys that drove them would take these cows. they put them in pens. Eventually, as soon as cars were available, they'd be loaded onto these train cars, and off they would go to the slaughterhouses of Chicago and any place else that could accommodate them. Same thing was happening with buffalo skins. Wyatt Earp and Bat Masterson had first met each other and, as they both claimed, became best friends while they were lowly buffalo hunters. It was disgusting, grisly, hard work, but a young man, as they were at that time, in the early 1870s, 
could make some good money for buffalo skins. They would also be loaded onto the train cars at Dodge City and taken east, along with one of the delicacies that the eastern people liked, buffalo tongues. Uh, one of the reasons why the buffalo were almost eradicated is not only because of their skins, but because certain parts of them were considered delicacies. Anyway, once these cattle drives were over, you had hundreds of cowboys, thirsty, dusty cowboys. They'd been on the trail for four weeks, six weeks, eight weeks, depending on where the cattle drive began, and sometimes as far away as the Rio Grande River. And they were paid off by their bosses, and so they had pockets full of cash. They couldn't spend it fast enough. They wanted alcohol, they wanted women, they wanted music, they wanted to ride up and down the street shooting their guns in the air. They just wanted to let loose. And at first, the business people in Dodge City were only so willing to accommodate them. Saloons sprang up overnight, bordellos, uh, other business places that sold dry goods, uh, clothing, barbershops, uh, bathhouses, anything to accommodate the cowboys. And it seemed like the business people of Dodge City were going to become rich very fast in 1872, 1873, 1874. But something else was starting to happen, too. And that was these cowboys, the combination, obviously, of, of alcohol and guns produced people shooting each other. And these cowboys began to gun each other down the streets. Uh, they either had a reason or they didn't have a reason. It didn't seem to matter too much. Now, there was no law in Dodge City. The closest law to Dodge City was a sheriff up in uh, Hayes City, and that was about 75 miles away. So it wasn't like if something happened, you know, the sheriff or a deputy sheriff or even a marshal, a federal marshal, was going to be trotting down the street to take care of it. Boot Hill got started about this time. You know, we've all heard about Boot Hill. There's probably a dozen of them throughout the American West, if not more. The original Boot Hill was in Dodge City. It started because there were two cowboys sitting on top of this hill overlooking Dodge City, they got into an argument about something. One shot and killed the other and left him there with his boots pointed to the sky. And at some time later, he was finally discovered. They dug a hole. They dropped him in there with his boots on, covered him up. And that was the very first grave in what became the Boot Hill Cemetery. It turned out that they couldn't dig graves fast enough in Dodge City. The killings that were going on. Every time it seemed like they buried somebody, there was somebody else who had just gotten killed. Well... This started to worry the business people because they realized that a problem they're going to have is if the cattle barons, the trail bosses and others, if they think their cowboys are going to get killed, it's going to be too dangerous for Dodge City. Then they figured what we got to do is we got to go someplace else. We'll go to Abilene. We'll go. We'll find some other place with a railroad. So that was when the city fathers, as they were called at the time, there were no women elected officials in Dodge City in those days. They said, we've got to get some law in here. And they put some money together and they hired a, a marshal. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
They hired a fellow named Bully Brooks. As the name implies, he was not your most subtle law enforcement officer. In fact, he was as bad, if not worse, than the killers he was hired to arrest. In his first few months, he killed a dozen people. And that shocked the lawmakers even more. They said, we've got to do something about this. They fired uh, Brooks. He was such a a popular character that uh, not long after he was fired, uh, a vigilante group found him and lynched him. And they had to look around for somebody else. We got to find somebody. And the new administration came in. They hired a, uh, a, a marshal named Larry Deeger. Uh, Larry was a big, imposing kind of guy, not the most proactive law enforcement guy. He mostly wanted to sit at a desk. But he and the mayor had an idea. They had heard about this lawman over in Wichita named White Earp. He had been a deputy over there. And he built a little reputation for being fair, effective, honest, uh, and, and, and people, you know, lawbreakers were kind of afraid of him. They said, that's the kind of guy we need. So they sent a message over to Wichita to Wyatt Earp and said, would you come work over here, become the deputy marshal over in Dodge City? Now, at this particular time, Wyatt was saying, you know what, I need to find someplace else besides Wichita. He'd had a little bit of trouble there, had to deal with his boss getting reelected, and, and his opponent said something bad about the boss, and uh, Wyatt, as could be his way, he beat the guy up and put him in, in what was then passed for a hospital. So Wyatt was looking to get out of Wichita at the same time that this message came over from Dodge City saying, we need a deputy marshal. Wyatt said, okay, let's go. He and his wife, uh, this was his third wife at the time. He would eventually have four. Some of them overlapped. And uh, they set off for Dodge City, and he was in Dodge City not very long when uh, a young man who was only about 20, but he already built a reputation on the frontier as an army scout and gunfighter and buffalo hunter, a fellow named Bat Masterson limped into town. He had gotten shot, Bat, in, in Texas, uh, you know, defending a, a lady, and he was recovered at the family farm, the Masterson family farm outside Wichita, and he came to Dodge City because one of his brothers was there. And a brother said, come on, Bat, come to Dodge City where you can start life over again. So Bat... Gets to Dodge City. He sees his old buffalo hunting partner, Wyatt Earp. Wyatt says, I know you're a good man with a gun. I'm a deputy, but a deputy needs a deputy. Would you join our police department such as it is? Bat says, well, I got nothing better to do. And that was the beginning of Wyatt and Bat in the wickedest town in the West. Their job was to make it less wicked, a lot less wicked. Because if they weren't effective, if they didn't do what they needed to do, then Dodge City was going to become a ghost town. As we know now, Dodge City became anything other than a ghost town, and a big part of that was because of White Earp and Bat Masterson. Allow me to read an excerpt from my book, Dodge City. Dodge City was not the first to benefit by the intersection of a railroad and cattle drives. In 1861, a small settlement called Abilene in Kansas, a few miles north of the Smoky Hill River, consisted of a store, a blacksmith shop, a post office, and even a hotel. The town's handful of residents expected that once the Kansas Pacific Railroad came through, there would be an increase in population. That didn't happen, and there was very little business to be done. But when the Civil War ended and cattlemen from Texas resumed their drives north, looking for railroad towns that would ship their cows as slaughterhouses to the north and east, Abilene was ready to make up for lost time. However, for a year or so, it was stymied by a quarantine on the Texas Longhorn cattle. They carry splenetic fever, which, inevitably, was called Spanish fever in Texas, and Texas fever by people living outside of the state. Like Lyme disease today, this illness was transmitted by a tick. 
The Texas cattle were rarely sickened by a disease, but it was deadly to other cattle they encountered, such as those in Kansas. That state and Missouri enacted quarantine statutes. It was very frustrating to the would-be cattle barons that the railroad and shipping sites were enticingly right there but unavailable, as it also was to the would-be Kansas entrepreneurs who saw their visions of riches and expanding towns turning into prairie dust. Ultimately, the solution was to ignore the quarantine. In 1867, when thousands of head of cattle were driven north and sold, the proceeds far outweighed the fear of the fever. By the next year, Abilene was calling itself the Queen of the Cowtowns. Similar claims were made by residents and officials in other towns touched by the railroad. Ellsworth, Hayes, Newton, Wichita, chief among them. While all would be eclipsed by the expanding settlement at the 100th meridian, two-thirds of the way west across the state, they did offer a preview of Dodge City's near future. Abilene's busiest year for cattle was 1871, and there were 11 bars in town. Despite its very humbling origins as a place to get drunk, Buffalo City, the former name of Dodge City, was poised to prosper. Several businessmen are credited with being its first leaders in the community, and they set up a saloon inside a tent. Seemingly overnight, wooden buildings and sidewalks were erected just north of the Arkansas River. The tracks went through the middle of what became Front Street, consisting mostly of one-story buildings, some of them still simple shacks. With such an abrupt transition of the town from Watering Hole to a center of Kansas commerce, its administration, such as it was, was not ready for the overwhelming influx of buffalo hunters, who would be followed by cowboys who had just spent anywhere from 30 to 100 days on sunburnt, fly-infested trails and had pay in their pockets. There was no police force when things were out of hand. The nearest law enforcement was 75 miles to the north in Hayes City, and cowboys were not the only problem. Buffalo City was renamed Dodge City and was on the edge of the frontier, a place that, for a variety of reasons, drew thieves, drunks, deserters, guerrillas still trying to relive the looting and pillaging days of the Civil War, and others with a price on their heads. All this combined to put Dodge City in the late summer of 1872 on the precipice of being a totally lawless young town. It was inevitable that murder was one of the crimes committed. The first recorded killing in the new Dodge City was that of a man known as Black Jack. That September, a gambler called Denver yanked out a gun and used it on Black Jack in front of a saloon. The man fell dead in the street, and Denver walked away. Soon after, another man, Jack Reynolds, was shot six times by a railroad worker, and he too died. In November, J.M. Essington, owner of a hotel bearing his name, was killed by the establishment's cook. Life in town quickly descended into chaos. Within a year, 15 men had been murdered, with the bodies being hauled up to the new cemetery Boot Hill for burial. It was into such lawless and dangerous surroundings that Bat Masterson, still a teenager, first arrived in Dodge City. Wyatt Earp would find his way there, too, and eventually both young men would be given badges and a mandate to tame a town on the brink of violent chaos. Thanks for listening to our special Unknown History miniseries on the wickedest town in the American West. If you'd enjoyed this week's story or in need of a last-minute Father's Day gift for Dad or Granddad or Uncle Joe or whoever, please consider checking out my book, Dodge City. For even more tales like this one, it's packed with anecdotes about the Wild West. You can pick up a copy for any book retailer or by clicking the link in the show notes below. Thank you for your time, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. 
See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.